Hey everyone, and welcome to The Rational Republican, a podcast where we look at complex issues facing us here in Oregon and around the nation. We'll try to address issues from a nonpartisan perspective and view our disagreements through a lens of respect rather than tribalism or divisiveness. I'm James Ball. This is Nick Perlosky. Hey listeners, how we doing? Today's podcast is brought to you by ProLift Doors of Portland. ProLift is your one-stop shop for residential and small commercial garage doors from openers, springs, and rollers to full reinstalls. They offer same-day service on all garage door repairs with no extra charge for evenings or weekends. Serving West Portland out to Hillsboro, call today and set up your free estimate at 503-558-6349 or at proliftdoors.com slash Portland. Again, that's 503-558-6349 or proliftdoors.com slash Portland. On this episode, we're welcoming Carl Rohde. Carl Rohde, at one point in his career, was the only openly gay politician in the state of Oregon. Is that right? Uh, elected official. Elected official in the state of Oregon. And he happens to be also a Republican. Yes, so, I am. We're here to talk about some LGBT issues and what it's like to be a openly gay man in the Republican Party. So, great. Glad to have you on the show. Thank you. Um, well, I mean, I oftentimes refer to my being um, a Republican as an artifact because um, I grew up in a time in Oregon when, um, well, for one, you know, you kind of come of age uh, politically in high school is when you begin really getting the civics education, which has largely disappeared from our public school system now. But you begin to become aware of what's going on beyond just the classroom that you're in. And so that was the age of Reagan. And um, while I never got to vote for Reagan, um, I he presented a admirable figure bringing us out of a very troubled time that the kind of the, the malaise that we were in with the, in the Carter administration, the harm that was done um, by the Nixon administration. And so anyway, I uh, was looking at what was going on in the country and uh, Ronald Reagan seemed to be the, the guy that really brought the country back together. I have since kind of modified some of my views and recognized that um, not his entire administration had some, issues that are still worth confronting but yeah he was someone that i admired at the time and then george herbert walker bush came on the scene and i thought here's someone of stellar qualifications and intelligence and thoughtfulness uh that i regret that he was not able to get greater traction but that was the circumstances of the time I myself do not present an admirable figure, which is why I wear very loose-fitting clothing much of the time. But I feel like that's a story for a lot of folks. Is If you grew up in that era and you were at least open to hearing what a lot of Republicans had to say, we had a lot of bad publicity with Nixon. We had a lot of bad publicity with even Gerald Ford after he lost that election. And then there was this – there was Ronald Reagan. There was this vision of hope and – I mean, I don't know about you, James, but I feel like that's that's kind of why we started this podcast is like there's we have we're the party of hope and freedom and all these wonderful things. You know what happened to that? Yeah, absolutely. Well, and the other thing that I dug into was, of course, that it was the party of Lincoln. So it was the party that was formed to free the slaves. It was the party of um, Teddy Roosevelt, who created the um, the national park system and preserved vast swaths of the country for, um, as he described it, the children in the womb of time. Um, and so we had that going for us. Um, it was the party of Nixon that opened the doors to China. It was the party that created the Environmental Protection Act and uh, the Environmental Protection Agency. So we began to seriously address pollution, which was rivers catching on fire in this country. Looking at you, Cleveland. Yep, exactly, <laughs> and actually Portland too. And so, Wait, it, it, did it really? Yeah, it, oh, I didn't even, know that. <laughs> it was it was not good. The Willamette River truly was a disgusting cesspool of sewage and garbage, and uh, now locally, that's just in Salem, right? Yeah, <laughs> but uh huh. I remember even when I was here growing up. So I was born in Portland. So the first seven years of my life, like you didn't swim in the Willamette because it was that it was that bad. You'd get sick. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then, um, you know, even here in Portland, in Oregon in the 70s, you had people like Governor Tom McCall championing the beach bill 
and uh, creating the bottle bill that got ad- adopted um, nationally. Um, you had uh, Republicans passing Senate Bill 100 for the creation of land use planning laws and urban growth boundaries. And so there were a number of, you know, the Republicans were, to be quite honest, the progressive party mm. uh, in Oregon for a number of years. And ju- it, in my mind, seemed like aligned with my values. So now in the era of Trump, in the era of the Republicans of 2019 are not exactly known for being friendly to the LGBTQ community. How do you not reconcile that? But, but how, does, how does that affect you as you are a somewhat prominent Republican in the state of Oregon and openly gay? Well, I, I don't know that I can take credit for being prominent. But <laughs> and you're an elected you. <laughs> official. You're elected official. That's more than more than we are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it's uh, I I feel that my voice is stronger remaining a Republican than were I to abandon the party. Um, I think that I have seen sea changes in public attitude, and I like to give myself even a little credit for bringing along Republicans inside rooms that others may not not be able to be in um, that I can change minds. I'll give you an example. Um, Back uh, when I was on the city council in Lake Oswego, uh, I was also involved with the Clackamas County Republican Party. And um, I got an opportunity to be the delegate to the platform convention that year. Kevin Mannix was the head of the party at the time. And they were adopting a number of anti-gay uh, language into the party. And I got up and was given an opportunity to speak against that and say that this would damage the party in the long run and present us as a party of hate. And I received boos and hisses from the audience. But Representative Linda Flores, who was the uh, secretary treasurer of the party at the time, stood up after I had made my mini speech, if you will, and uh, uh, announced that she was stepping down from the rostrum in order to testify before the entire delegation. And she got up and said, regardless of how you may feel on a particular issue, there is no room for anyone within this party to be booing or hissing another member of the party. Everyone has a right to speak uh, their mind here. And I thought that was an important moment. I mean, that was still in the, you know, that was still a very difficult time. And there were half a dozen or more statements within the party platform that were very anti-gay. Now, um, I was just scanning the platform uh, before coming here and noticed that the only one that's really left is that marriage will only be between a man and a, man and a woman. Well, they added that there's only two genders. That was added this last time around. Yeah. So um, there's still progress to be made, yeah. but I, I think that remaining a Republican, my values of uh, good government instead of no government, my values of you know, being fiscally prudent and responsible with public dollars and uh, recognizing individual rights is still important. And I can have a greater effect on the party and within this, in society in general by remaining uh, a Republican as a homosexual. Can I just ask, so my wife grew up here in Oregon with two mothers and she's told me stories about going to restaurants and saying there's going to be an hour long wait when the the next two or five or ten couples that would walk in ahead of you would just immediately get seated. And it was very clear that there's not a wait. It's just that we don't want to serve you. And the, the same thing would happen in a lot of different places. And that struck me as, you know, even as as progressive as Oregon is on, on a ton of different social issues, this – she was born in 19 – she was born – her birthday was four days ago. She was born the day the Berlin Wall fell. She grew up in the 90s and in the early 2000s, and this was still happening in blue progressive Oregon. Is this a Republican problem that we're still not there yet on gay rights, or is this a just a human nature problem, and it's a little bit more subliminal than that? Um – I think it goes back and forth quite a ways um, because when your mom was born when the Berlin Wall fell. 
My wife was born the day the Berlin Wall. Your fell. wife was okay. Yeah. <laughs> she just I didn't her, hear that right then. Okay. Her, her yeah, and her mom. Her mother, yeah. Her, yeah. She grew up with yeah. two mothers. Yeah. Well, um, there were you know there was the period of time that we went through in the state with uh, organizations like the Oregon Citizens Alliance, and they were promoting a number of very aggressively anti-gay ballot measures in the state, and that coincided with the AIDS scare which was uh, just a terrifying moment in the gay community as everyone was trying to... I mean, if you remember, back at, back at that time, people were um, under the belief that uh, you could get AIDS from a mosquito bite. Mm. You could get AIDS from... You know, there were laws uh, against homosexuals spitting on people, and that was... a that, Some people would actually attach a death penalty to that as an assault with a deadly weapon. Wow. Oh, my God. So that sent hordes of homosexuals back into the closet uh because they were they were literally uh treated as pariah uh across the nation and that as knowledge and advancements in in science and medicine came along more and more people began to realize that this is a manageable situation and the stigma began to dissipate but in a way the AIDS scare was, I hate to say this, but beneficial to the gay community because it wrote, it, it brought also a lot of strong voices out that said, we will not be forgotten. We will not be allowed to just die in the streets that we, it, it created a movement that people came out, people began actively advocating for medical treatment and um, research, and it created organizations like Cascade AIDS Projects and others around the nation that really reinforced the community in a strange way. And in the same way that Oregon Citizens Alliance, with their virulent uh, anti-gay agenda, brought people together to fight against them, and really a lot of people that came out caused their their friends and relatives and so forth to realize well if you're gay and i think you're normal then why do i have this opinion well i think so i was at the orp platform convention this last time and list regular listeners will know because we've talked about it enough times but, you're but, begging the question <laughs> that we have regular <laughs> listeners man no uh, <laughs> anyway um one of the thoughts that i've always had when it comes to gay trans even even racial minorities, one of the problems that the Republican Party has is just not seeing them as people. And I think you don't they don't see them as people because they don't know any. And right. so they're a statistic, they're just this face in the crowd, they're a number, they're, you know, however many millions of illegal immigrants or however many, you know, trans people. And this is a conversation that came up during the uh, discussion on the the trans thing that I that I mentioned earlier that there are only two genders. Jet, like so, I I actually made the motion to nix that from the platform, and Jeff Reynolds came up in support, hmm. which Jeff friend is, of the is, pod, we've Jeff's had him on the- a, just a friend, yeah, not known for being progressive, <laughs> just a wonderful guy. But I don't know, if, you know Jeff, I know Jeff, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, great guy, not known for being a progressive, but uh, because we have a trans person or formerly trans person in the MCRP and he's one of our biggest volunteers and does a lot for the party he came to the party as a female so he was he was born male came to the party as a trans female and then transitioned back to a male while he was and now he's he's you know a member of the Multnomah Republican Party and i think just having that relationship with an actual trans person and realizing that if we are hateful and not accepting of these people we would miss out on him and several others and i think that's the biggest problem and another reason why we want to have lgbt members on on this podcast is just kind of put a face in it not a face because this is radio (laughs) 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 you knew that was coming there's nothing you could do to stop it (laughs) uh create some humanity to the these people that i think a lot of I don't even want to say rural folks, but a lot of people who are kind of in this Republican bubble never really interact with. And it's just a face out in the middle of nowhere. So 
Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. And that's uh, one of the reasons, uh, another of the reasons why I stay a member of the party is that I get to interact with a lot more people um, as a result. I get to be in locations and with groups and so forth where I'm able to normalize my existence. And, you know, when I came out uh, in my uh, first year on the Lake Oswego City Council, was when I think that there were a number of my colleagues that began to realize, well, here I am with you every week on the city council. You're someone that I value as a contributing member to a deliberative body. I can't see any reason that I could discriminate against you just based on your sexual orientation. And it was funny because the, I was on the board of directors for the League of Oregon Cities, which meant I traveled around the state quite a bit. And there was uh, always an annual meeting in the hometown of the president of the League of Oregon Cities. And this one year happened to be in Enterprise, Oregon. And it was Susan Roberts, who um, was the mayor of Enterprise. And she was the, the president of the League of Oregon Cities. And we went out there, and it's still Eastern Oregon lore that I told her this was the first time I had unfolded my Oregon map all the way. <laughs> <laughs> and um, when I talked to her about it, it was funny because she said, well, do we get any credit for this? Do we get it? You know, as as, the, as Republicans, do we get any credit for this? That you're you're gay and you're a Republican. I was like, sure, Susan. Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> I'll let I'll let you take credit. for I'll it. write you a little post-it note. I'll, you can frame it. <laughs> yep. But she was a she was an ex-marine. Um, she's I believe now on the county commission out there. Um, fantastic woman. And my you know, my involvement there and being able to have that connection prior to coming out and then after coming out, I think changed a lot of minds in that regard as well. Do you feel that that's, I, I mean, I don't want to say necessary, but do you feel that that was beneficial for you to have had a relationship with a, a group of important people on the Lake Oswego City Council before you came out? Like, what would that have looked like had you campaigned knowing that everybody knew your sexual orientation i think coming out midterm eased the uh the acceptance so it didn't it didn't become a issue in my if my first campaign my first campaign i actually lost it was my second that i won that's another story <laughs> um but uh coming out midway people had already seen my work they valued uh, they put trust in me and um when it came time for me to run for re-election it was simply not an issue and so uh they the the community accepted it and I think that going forward, uh, that's why there have been other homosexual members of the Lake Oswego City Council. There have been other people who have run for city council. And I think that it is uh, – I, I, I certainly won't take credit, but I like to think I was – I maybe had a con contribution. Well, and I, I mean like – I just – James, to your point, I think that that's like – that is a thing that – escapes the minds of a lot of republicans is there's not for lack of a better term such thing as like a gay person there's a carl there's a carl who likes brown liquor who just drank a beer at marathon taverna who's wearing a brown sweater the first time i went i met my wife's parents who the two people who would become my wife's parents i wasn't meeting gay people i was meeting my wife's parents and they they have their jobs and they have their hobbies and they have their interests and they have the way they raise up their daughter and their other two children. And it's so easy to, from a 30,000 foot view, I feel like think about something and it, it's, it ends up being so different than when you're actually like, Oh, Hey, you're a person that I know and I trust and I enjoy hanging out with and all these wonderful things. And Oh, by the way, there's this other little fact about you. Yeah. Obviously, it's different in rural parts of the state um, who are perhaps less exposed. But is it, is it Silverton that has a transgendered mayor? Um, I know that I don't know. one of the states, one of the, one of the cities. I think it's I think it's Silverton that has a hmm. transgendered mayor. outside of Salem. Yeah, and so. Uh, 
attitudes are changing. Media has played a role in that, but just one-on-one interactions with folks has played a huge role in that. So I, I think that that's probably the, you tend to hate people less if you know them. Mm-hmm. I've met a lot of Baltimore Ravens fans in my life. I still hate them all. <laughs> As a Steelers guy. <laughs> yeah. So, Carl, do you find that you are discriminated against or not accepted within the party? Not so much within the party. There's I, I, I experience greater shock and awe amongst other members of the gay community, hmm. and that, but, you're, that you're Republican. Yeah, that I'm a Republican. But once I kind of explain them the the underpinnings of, you know, like I said earlier, Lincoln and Teddy Roosevelt and Tom McCall and um, the uh, Environmental Protection Act and um, land use planning and the bottle bill and the beach bill and those things that were the foundational experiences of my political upbringing. And that now I feel I can be a better a better brand ambassador, if you will, remaining a member of the Republican Party and we're working to overcome those anti-gay elements within the Republican Party than were I to join the choir and just become a member of the Democratic Party and begin, you know, and, and along with everybody else. I think that I, I have a, a greater voice and a greater influence by remaining a Republican and that I can, I can transform people's attitudes better in that regard. That's reasonable. One one of the things that when I started getting involved in politics, I have, have many times thought about switching sides when Trump was elected. And, you know, some people say something and I'm like, Do you know, is this really where I want to be the, the on the right? But the arguments are easier, I feel like. I feel like it's easier on the right to be the, hey, we have all the right ideas, but let's not be so hateful of other groups. That is an easier argument for me to have than... The issues with the left are, this is maybe a bit too convoluted to say just off the cuff, but you almost have to take a contrarian position and then have to explain it and over-explain it. We were talking on the pod the other day about government paying for school lunches. It's like to fix the problems with the Democratic Party, you'd almost have to come out against that and say something like, you know, I don't want to feed hungry kids, and this is why. Yeah. <laughs> and that is a much harder <laughs> argument to have than, hey, let's all just accept people as human beings. Yeah. So, I will say that uh, November of 2016 presented the greatest challenge to me remaining a member of the Republican Party. And I, it, it is still a struggle. Uh, as I, I watch what's going on with this administration or, I mean, giving it, saying administration gives it a legitimacy (laughs) that is far greater than it deserves. But, um, I, I, the circus. um, Yeah. Um, I'm hoping that we see, uh, a turnaround from that. I hope that we have witnessed the darker angels of our beings, uh, through this administration and will, do what we can to uh, bring ourselves back from the brink. Carl gets double points for being poetic and right at the same time. <laughs> I don't know if we can switch our podcast to being a game show type podcast where we can actually award we points. Give points to people. I'd really love to be able to do that. It, wh- whose line is this anyway where the <laughs> points don't matter? <laughs> whose podcast is this anyway? <laughs> so your ceteris paribus, all the other awful Trumpite Republicans aside, you're a Republican because you're a Republican. You're not a Republican because you're on some quixotic mission to to try to make people see the error in their ways, which a lot of people in our parties, party have errors in their ways about certain things. But what is a success story for you? What's a time where you were able to go into a Republican meeting, a friend who is a Republican, and say, hey, look, you like me, you like these ideas, they're not mutually exclusive. Like, this can all work. Well, <laughs> there are uh, there are certain instances that I can't discuss. 
that uh, if are we simply give you more whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> Well, let's see how much you have. Um, but for instance, the 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 situation, like I mentioned earlier at the platform convention, I, I consider that a personal success that I actually was able to get up there and have a conservative um, Republican like Linda Flores step down before Kevin Mannix and get up on the mic and speak to hundreds of delegates to the platform commission and um, defend me. I thought that was a that was a real victory, and it was because mm-hmm. I had developed a relationship with Linda that really, uh, I think, changed her thinking. And uh, while at that time it did not prevent some damaging language going into the party platform, it um, most of that language has been removed, and I think that uh, maybe I had a hand in in getting some change there. I don't know. The other thing about the platform, and we've talked about this on the pod before, but it is a democratic process. And if you get a room full of 200 people trying to come up with specific language <laughs> for a thing, right. it ends up, you end up with contradictions, you end up with bad grammar, you end up with a lot of different <laughs> things happening. All of so, which still is in the party platform. Yes. Listeners, if you don't believe us, go, go, go. Yes. Gnarly. <laughs> but to the point, like you can have... of the group who are the leadership, who are the the county chairs, who are the people who, for lack of a better term, know what's going on, and they can still lose the vote to the 51% who just showed up for that one thing. So, Mm -hmm. And that's just the nature of the way the platform committee works. And the way we fix that is by recruiting more PCPs who are like-minded to then elect themselves to the ORP platform convention. So, listeners, if you want to become a PCP, shoot us an email. James at jamesaball.com. That's true. Yep, that's my email. Nick at jamesaball.com <laughs> also. <laughs> sure, yeah. 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 Send an email. Note, I'll forward either it. one yeah. of us. Yeah. Well, yeah. We'll get the we'll get it where it needs to go. A most one of my most memorable experiences uh, was I was in Washington DC for the National League of Cities conference. And it was shortly after the Multnomah County Commission legal, they, they independently legalized same sex marriage. And at the time, the Bush administration were working on laws to restrict access to marriage for same sex couples. And I happened upon a rally that was outside of the human rights campaign offices in Washington, D.C. And there were uh, about 5,000 people rallying in the street, I would say. And um, I was down there and my good friend Lynn Peterson, who was on the Lake Oswego City Council with me, saw a staff person for human rights campaign and said that they should uh they should bring me up on stage and the next thing i know when in like 20 minutes with no prepare no preparation for a speech um on the value of equality in marriage uh i was speaking to 5000 people about how we just had done what we had done in Oregon and that we will um, protect and value the rights of individuals um, to love who they love and to enter into the contract of marriage together. So that was that was one of those surprising. I threw it together, put together a speech. I guess um, some people thought I was uh, well-spoken. So <laughs> <laughs> that was an exciting moment. Very Never cool. know the virtues of being able to speak extemporaneously. This is yeah, absolutely. <laughs> this is always a very important skill. Absolutely. Well, that's again one of the reasons for the podcast for me personally was to get better at speaking and no, having no, cogent no, no, thoughts no. in a you you always plan things out many. to a T. This is there is this is like the first extemporaneous thing that you've done. No, there's like there were like seven things where we started the podcast. Things. That was one of them though. Was get better at. Fair enough. Better at speaking, <laughs> listeners. If you if you would go back to the rough cuts of our very first episodes, it, they were they were bad. I cut out a lot of ums and uhs and blanks and. I, I still say I'm a pretty good. <laughs> I cut got, it out. So we no got to fix it in post. That's God bless James in the editing. <laughs> You know, the other thing uh, with the Republican Party as I was growing up, you had you know really prominent 
intellectual names that were guiding influences. William F. Buckley. Even today, we have people that don't even know our conservative commentators like David Brooks and Fareed Zakaria, who are largely considered uh, now to be left-leaning, which hmm. is bizarre to me because they're not. They're, they are conservative. And the changes that I've seen in the party as we become less globalist, there's an interesting pathway to that, and this takes a, a little bit of a while to get to, but it's it is all the time in the world, right? <laughs> <laughs> it is how um, the Republicans came about adopting the Southern strategy, mm. and really with the you know um, the the idea was presented to uh, Eisenhower, and he just dismissed it out of hand. It was presented to Nixon, he was like. Hmm. And then uh, it got to the Reagan administration, the people that were running the Reagan administration, they they full-throatedly embraced the Southern strategy to pick up the disaffected Dixiecrats who were left over from the civil rights battles of the 1960s in which Lyndon Johnson, a Democrat, uh, passed things in contrary to what the Southern Democrats would have preferred. And they were left wandering in the, in the desert, if you will. And the Southern strategy was played by the Republicans to pick up all of those Dixiecrats. And if you look at the map of Trump's electorate and the, the people that are largely the Republican areas, it, um, it is mostly made up of the remains of the Confederacy. Mm. And I think that is unfortunate because I grew up at a time when the Republican Party was overwhelmingly the wealthy and the intellectual elites. Mm. And that has, that has changed. Sometimes people ask, you know, how, how can I be a part of a party that supports Trump and supports all of the racist and sexist and homophobic stuff that comes out of his mouth? You get asked that? <laughs> <laughs> and my shoot answer... shoot him a text like once a day. Just I like, know. Hey, what Trump, are you Trump can, you, can you stop doing that? Um, my answer is always, I was a Republican when Trump was a Democrat. And the parties change. And this is kind of the example of... The party's flipping, you know. We are the party, Republicans are the party of Lincoln, who then courted the old Dixiecrats, who are, who then, you know, have the remains of the Confederacy is now part of the Republican party. And I'm like, chain, parties switch all the time. Yeah. And it just needs to switch back. Like we, and we, abandoning the party is not going to fix that. It's just going to make it worse. It takes some of us with, a conscience to stand up and say, this is wrong. We need to be more inclusive and stick to our conservative values economically. Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm not the originator of this um, colloquialism, if you will, that um, I, I refuse to abandon my ship to the pirates, mm-hmm. but I feel that I'm still fighting to get the control of the ship back. And um, hopefully we can, you know, again, return to an era where it was uh, Republicans presenting many of the most progressive legislative proposals uh, in the state and in the nation. I mean, there people still lament the fact that Oregon was a legislative leader in the 70s and early 80s and that that is no longer the case. We often are following what. Washington and California have done mm-hmm. those people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Another so, thing that I've seen switch recently has been the the issue of morality. You know, it used to be Republicans were the evangelical rights. We were the family values. We were these all sort of things. And this is a sort of an, I, I make no comment if this is good or bad, but what something that Trump has done is, you know, we have a thrice married, philandering, foul mouthed leader of the party. And I think the morality is now switched, switched to the Democrats. The Democrats are now the party of morality, but it's a different morality. It's not Judeo Christian values, it's egalitarianism and equality of outcome. Right. And trigger warnings and safe spaces and empathy. I think that is that is one of the so uh, a few years ago I listened to a speech um uh by uh Bill Gates that he talked about 
the evolution of our species and really said that for the entire history of our species, we have been based on an aggression model that we had to fight to survive. And that, that model served well um, for the evolution of the species so that we did not die out. We were, we'd band together sometimes and fight together and then fight with one another and so forth. But it was, a, it was definitely an aggression based model. And what he was saying, and I've since read other articles is that we as a species, in order to evolve to the next level, need to adopt a sociological structure based on empathy. And that we begin to um, recognize the inherent value in all human beings and that we begin to work together collectively to um, advance ourselves and not just look at everything as a win-loss, um, as I beat you, as um, you know, you are defeated and that type of thing, but rather, and I know it, it turns into a lot of the, what is characterized as the snowflake Mm-hmm. argument that you know everyone's a winner and so forth like um but <laughs> um i'm not sure that we you know in today's environment in today's technological environment in today's communication environment and the connectivity that we have that we are still better served by an aggression model and that maybe it is time for us to evolve into a species that thinks beyond ourselves Well, and I feel like uh, for us Republicans as a whole, this has been a mantra of ours from like day one. We've always said it's not about how you cut up the pie. It's about growing the size of the pie. Hmm. We have always been the party that says there are intellectual arguments. There are economic arguments that we are for prosperity. We are for having more jobs, more income for more people. Rather than just saying, you have too much of this share and we want to take part of your share and we want to give it to James over there. He's, you know, he's spending all of his money giving us all of his nice whiskey and he just, he needs more, he needs extra income. You can, you can give up. me money if you want. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah. Yeah. Users, his Venmo is at James Wall. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I feel like, so you said a second ago, you said one thing that I appreciated and one thing that I, was less inclined to appreciate. You mentioned that we are no longer the party of the intellectuals. We are no longer the party of the Friedrich Hayek's and the Russell Kirk's and the Bill Buckley's. We are now the party of Sean Hannity's and Donald <laughs> Trump's and what's this Milo Yiannopoulos or whatever. Mm. Just these, these very flamethrowy, uh, aggressive types of individuals. And I lament the fact that we have lost that. We've lost that heft, that intellectual heft where you, you, you go to a meeting and you trust that the other person is well read and well spoken and can understand the nuances of your argument. And it's just, are you MAGA or are you not? And if you're not, then, you know, what are you doing here? But it did get to a 49 state win for Ronald Reagan. And while yeah, the Southern strategy maybe is, you know, three decades ago's version of lowest common denominator campaigning, which is what I think Donald Trump did. It still got to a win and we don't have President What's-His-Face who jumped up out of the tank and a second Carter, second Carter administration or anything like that. Do you think that we have the ability to marry those two concepts? Like, can we go back and take the moral high ground while bringing a good at least 270 electoral votes worth of the country with us yes but and here's where for one thing i can't you it is inappropriate to lump all republicans in in one blanket statement um and i most of what we do on this podcast is (laughs) (laughs) because i think that we we all know a number of Republicans that we have an enormous amount of respect for that we interact with on a regular basis mm-hmm. and that express views that we may not always agree to agree with, but they do it in a respectful and articulate manner. And I believe that there are a lot of those people that are still out there. And I wouldn't limit that to 
Republicans, I, I'd say that, you know, you also, you, you have people in society that are generally like that. I think that the, I hate to validate a statement, an off the cuff statement or a, maybe even a prepared statement made by Hillary Clinton when she brought, she introduced the notion of a basket of deplorables. Mm. Um, which, which offended an enormous, which it offended an enormous amount of people and probably should. But I thought it was interesting that people didn't recognize the fact that what she said was that within the Republican party exists a basket of deplorables. She wasn't saying the Republican party was mm. a was a basket of deplorables she wasn't saying that the she wasn't condemning the entire party or anyone who might uh, have a sympathetic or might side with the Republicans on issues what she said was that there is a basket of deplorables within the Republican party that we are simply never going to be able to reach and I believe she was right in that. And we kind of made the same statement with Mitt Romney talking about the 47%. Mm-hmm. You beat me. To, I was just going to make that point. I, we got to let you host this podcast. Instead of us, man. <laughs> and so, um, the, but then you, you know, you begin to dissect what's going on within that basket of deplorables and what's going on with their existence. I mean, for instance, the complaint from the 2016 election was that the Democrats lost the blue wall, which made up um, the what is, has commonly become referenced as the Rust Belt. Mm-hmm. And that that term is only a recent term, the Rust Belt, because for generations that was known as the industrial heartland of the United States – and we systematically offshored our manufacturing in order to avoid labor laws and environmental protection laws and uh, uh, transportation was cheap and so forth. So we had reason to move those. But nowhere did we have that empathy structure that I was talking about earlier to recognize the importance of the fact that that's, that's more than just a job. That's manufacturing positions mining positions what have you is more than just a job it is a significant factor of their existence mm-hmm. and if we don't take that into consideration then it is to our peril and i think that is uh, one of the failings of the democrats is that is that as elections got more and more expensive and the republicans who already had a base of wealth the Democrats turned to technology and entertainment for their wealth to fund their campaigns and abandon the foundation of their party, which was the, the, the people that worked hard every day in the industrial heartland of the, of the United States. I don't know how involved either of y'all is, are in fantasy football. Uh, <laughs> Not at all. Good, good segue there, Nick. <laughs> that is, well, I'm coming back. Stick with me on this one. So uh, I honestly, I have, um, haven't kept up so much this year and my, my fantasy record shows that, but <laughs> I used to do a, I used to listen to a lot of the ESPN fantasy football podcast and one of Matthew Barry's lines was he used to say, I'm a company man. He, he'd hit a little button and it played the ESPN sound, the din in it, Yep. And it's like a, it's like a recurring joke on that podcast. And for a long time in my life, I never understood what that term meant. I'm a company man. And then in 2013, Aren't I. You- from Pittsburgh, like, shouldn't you know that? Thank you very much, James. <laughs> Go Ball, ahead for yeah. That, well, no, and that's exactly it. Because yeah, I yes, I I was born and raised in Pittsburgh. I moved away when I was ten because my dad had a job with a subsidiary of Ford. We moved to Detroit, but none of that really sunk in at the time when I was young. I moved back to Pittsburgh when I uh, when I was an adult, or at least a young adult. Uh, in 2013 at the age of 25, 27, however old I was at the time. And I would hear even, even in, you know, modern times, you know, Google is in Pittsburgh, Facebook is in Pittsburgh, Uber is in Pittsburgh, you know, a lot of the, you know, hip tech startups, craft beer, whatever, all that stuff is there. 
And I would hear people reference in, you, you know, you pick your favorite bar, pick your favorite fire hall, whatever. And somebody would say, like, I'm a company man. And it's not just well, I'm employed. I've got enough money to cover this beer that I'm drinking. It's it's a point of pride. It's I work for a living. I I take mm-hmm. my hands. I use my hands. I'm I'm productive. I do things. And there's so much of a the country and b our age demographic. You and me, James, us us millennials, us wicked mm-hmm. millennials, that don't really understand what that is. There's we're, you know focus on the gig economy and sharing and all of that whatever that yeah rust belt states if if you know that's what the popular media dubs dubs them is just is beyond what we've got as a comprehension and donald trump say what you will about him and the lord knows that i have (laughs) he reached out to those voters and he said i'm gonna go to bat for you and obviously Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Wisconsin flipped from blue for the last 15 million elections since Michael Dukakis to go for Donald Trump again. Barely. <laughs> we have to remember, it was such a well, tight... And, and we also have to remember that he lost the popular vote. Yeah, well, as the, as the great <laughs> Vin Diesel said in Fast and Furious, it doesn't matter if you win by an inch or a mile, a win is a win. Yeah. The, uh, the philosopher Vin Diesel. <laughs> Vin the <Right>. philosopher. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, right. seriously, he was right though. All right, guys. Well, we are just about out of time. So Carl, one of the things we like to do in the podcast is ask our guests, who is your favorite Republican, living or dead? Do you have a favorite Republican? Uh, that's a tough one. I mean, I don't think. Don't is it Vin Diesel? It is. It is not <laughs> Vin Diesel. Um, no. Um, I would have to probably side with Teddy Roosevelt. Hmm. I have. Um, I think that. Um, I think his his recognition of the the importance of preserving. Things about the unique things about America for the children in the womb of time. I've always thought that is such a beautiful phrase that, um, it's not, you're not thinking about just the, just your children or grandchildren, but the, the womb of time and that, that there are important enough things to consider beyond. I hope that that, that kind of philosophy influences the climate change debate and many other things. And I thought that, um, well, he was, you know, he he was mercurial, if you will. I think that I have a lot of respect for him. Much like myself. <laughs> mercurial? <laughs> <laughs> so we were just about to end the podcast and realized that we neglected something really important. So, Carl, you are the president of the Red Dress Party here yeah. in Portland. Yes, I am. And, uh, I can't tell you how much fun that is, but also how much, how worthy that organization is. I, I first went to my first red dress party in 2004 and I was talked into it. I didn't want to go. I was terrified about putting on a dress and, um, I went ahead and did it and had the best time of, uh, best party I'd ever been to. And there were 300 and, 325 people at the party that year. So is this primarily a uh, LGBT event? In its early days, it was. It, uh, it was definitely almost exclusively gay men. Um, now I would say that it is a 50-50 split between maybe, maybe 60-40 um, gay-straight split uh, at the party. And it has grown to be... One of the biggest parties in Portland. It's a charitable event. We've raised over $400,000 for charities around the region. Wow. We, uh, from, from starting as a basement party with 75 people in a private home, it is now over 2,500 people at the Memorial Coliseum. Wow. And it is just the, it, it, the fun thing is, and I got my brother and his wife to come one year and they were blown away at how, Amazing the party was, but also the fact that the when you walked in the door, you got over the fact that you just came from the outside world wearing a red dress that might look <laughs> unusual. And suddenly we're in this sea of over 2,000 people 
dancing and eating and drinking and having a good time. We won best party in Portland three years in a row in Willamette Week until they uh, they took the category off of their reader poll because they were like, <laughs> eh, no one can win this. You're running everybody else off the scoreboard. You right. know what, what are they going to do? Well, you might but have me sold. Can I can I or can I not confirm that you were actively rooting against the Blazers in their series <laughs> against Denver last year? Because if the series continued and the Blazers made it to the Western Conference Finals, that was going to screw you all over. You were going to have to move the conference. Like, what, what is this? Okay, so yeah. So last year, the Blazers did extraordinarily well. Um, and they're, because they went into the playoffs, we're in the exhibition hall of the Memorial Coliseum. What was supposed to happen at the Moda Center that night was Stars on Ice. But because of the Blazer game, they moved Stars and Ice into the Coliseum, the bowl of the Coliseum, which mm. just affected the ability. And um, all of a sudden, parking went from $3 to $20. And we were afraid that if the Blazers lost, coming out of the Rose Quarter, the Rose Garden, and um, encountering... 2,000 men and men and women in red dresses waiting in line to get into our party might create some tension. Um, but in fact, it, it worked out really well. And um, as is true to form, Blazer fans were as uh, friendly and generous and happy, even though the Blazers lost that night. But we were concerned leading up to that uh, because all of a sudden we had to th- change the entrance to our party and all that different thing. But no, that's one of the, again, one of those wonderful things where it's uh, coming to, I've heard more people that uh, especially guys that come to the party for the first time that are brought to the party by their girlfriends or their wives and they didn't want to do it they they they're like <laughs> what put on a red dress uh, but once they get in the party they suddenly realize this is just a community of people that are all being equalized by what they're what they're wearing this evening and they can they can throw off the shackles of general societal expectations and just have a good time can't throw off the shackles of the zers though yeah <laughs> <laughs> look for redresspdx.com.org sorry redresspdx.org there you go all right with that i think we're gonna end it thanks listeners thanks for listening to the rational republican Please like and subscribe on your favorite podcasting service, or you can listen on our website, jamesaball.com. Also, don't forget to follow us on social media, and if you're feeling extra generous, you can visit our Patreon site at patreon.com slash rationalrepublican. Again, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.